Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 to 12, and uh, it's printed in your bulletin, so if you'd like, you can follow along with me. <clears throat> Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. This is the word of the Lord. You know, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> uh, we, re- we were revisiting our vision of uh, building bridges, that we want to be the kind of church that is filled with bridge builders. And uh, we haven't extracted exactly what that means in terms of the practical day-to-day. We did that last year, a year ago. Uh, But what we were thinking more about in terms of what the gospel should be doing to our hearts. Because, you know, without the gospel making an impact upon our hearts, we could could say whatever vision we want, but it'll never come to fruition because uh, really if we want to be a people who can be, uh, who want to be faithful to God, if we want to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, uh, at the most basic level is we have to receive the gospel, we have to believe in it, and we have to allow it to have its effect upon us in our hearts. And so, um, you know, we started by looking at this long passage in 2 Corinthians where uh, I think is one of the places where we really understand how Paul approached Christian ministry, how he approached gospel ministry. And I didn't plan to do this. I only planned to preach on it once, but I thought it was such a rich passage that uh, we actually went through it for uh, a couple of weeks. Today, we're going to look at this passage for a final time next week. Uh, oh, make sure to come next week because uh, uh, a missionary, uh, a Japanese missionary is going to come and speak to us next week. Some of you know him, Nick. He'll be here next week in preaching for us. And then after that, uh, it'll be the start of the, the season of Lent. And so we'll start a new sermon series during that time. But uh, at least uh, in the beginning of the year, I, I wanted us as a church to really reflect on who we are and uh, what kind of people uh, we want to be, especially as we respond to the gospel. And so we looked at three implications that uh, I think the gospel has and three implications that I think we see in this passage. The first thing we saw is the gospel should make us live less for ourselves and more for Christ and more for others. The second thing we looked at is the gospel should make reconciliation a priority. So when we have relationships that are broken uh, because God has reconciled us to himself in Christ, we should make reconciliation with others a priority. And just a little bit backdrop, the, the issue here is the Corinthian church uh, has a strained relationship with the Apostle Paul, and they're doubting his apostleship. And uh, finally, what we're going to look at today is this final implication that I think we see here in this passage. Now, uh, the last 
Uh, the last part of this passage was a little bit cut off. I think um, it's, it should go to verse 13, and I, I, there's a ty- I made a typo. But basically, uh, the final implication is found at the end. And uh, if Paul says this, he says, our hearts are wide open to you. And then he calls them and he says, in return, widen your hearts also. Okay, widen your hearts also. You know, the gospel, one of the implications of the gospel, I think, should be that we do not close our hearts to people but we open, we widen our hearts to people. And I I recognize that's not exactly an easy thing. I know uh, in the ideal world, that's probably something that people say they want and how the world should be. But I think on the ground and in the reality of our day-to-day life, that's not something easy to do. Uh, Most of us, if not all of us, I think we we do close our hearts to to certain kinds of people, uh, whether it's uh, people that... Uh, I don't know, we find to be uh, annoying to us at work or people that uh, we just you know, don't share any common interests with or whatever it might be, uh, I think maybe subconsciously there is a sense in which we close our hearts to people. Now, uh, I've also said in our, in our society, it's, things seem to be getting more and more polarized, right? So you have people on different sides and who have different views, and uh, they're, they're not really... Uh, talking to one another in the most productive way and getting to know other and embracing one another. But if anything, there's a, a greater divide that's being ca- uh, caused. But I'll say this, you know, if, if you are somebody who has received the gospel and you know, you know what God has done for you in Christ, that should not be, right? That should not be. We should never say, well, that person has this ide- ideology, that person uh, believes in this, that person is part of this particular political party, and therefore, I want nothing to do with them with them. My heart is completely closed off. No. See, if we have a, a, a God who has embraced us even when we were enemies of him, then there is a sense that that should touch us in such a way that we would never close our hearts off to others. Now, the Corinthians, they're, they're kind of like that. You know, if you look at verse 1, you know, we're going to just look at this passage a little bit in order, kind of like a running commentary. But if you look at verse 1, Paul says this, he says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? Well, you know, in this previous passage, Paul, he had just talked about uh, a couple things. He said, you know, God reconciled us to himself in Christ. Jesus, he became sin so that we now might become the righteousness of God. And after that, now he's saying this, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now, what exactly does that mean? What is he getting at here? You know, you have to remember, these, this is a community. They haven't outright rejected the gospel. They haven't rejected Christ. They, they identified themselves as Christian believers. These are people, they have claimed to receive the gospel, but even though this is something that they claim, they aren't doing anything in response to it. They're not working towards reconciling with Paul. They're not living as uh, representatives of Christ. They're embracing false teachers and false gospels. They're not rejecting uh, the, the, cultural, uh, the culture of the day, the pagan culture. They're not fleeing from personal sin. And therefore, their life and community, I guess as a whole, maybe individually it might not be like that, but as a whole, it doesn't seem to reflect what it's supposed to look like when a community of people have received the grace of God into their lives. And I wonder if, uh, especially if you're somebody who grew up in the church, and especially as a Christian in, in America where there is some history of Christianity, I wonder if some of us find ourselves in that category as well. 
Because, you know, we see, we come to church on Sunday and maybe we hear the gospel and, or I should say, hopefully you hear the gospel, and maybe our response is, wow, that's, you know, that's a nice story to hear. Um, but maybe it doesn't really do anything to us when we leave this place. Maybe some of us, when we hear the gospel, it's kind of like watching that inspirational movie or it's like listening to a TED Talk and we kind of say, oh, that's, that's nice to hear, it's good to hear, or that's, that's an interesting perspective. But maybe it doesn't really make that personal impact within our hearts and in our lives. I think if that's the case, then we, we probably fall in the same category as these Corinthians, that we are not receiving the grace of God in the way that we ought, but we're receiving the grace of God in vain. You see, because we, we are surrounded by all kinds of stories in the world. And I think the average person listens to a story or you know, even watches a movie, and the way that it's received is you know, we want to be either entertained uh, but we're not necessarily changed, right? Maybe if the story is so compelling and so impactful to us, then maybe we find ourselves changed. But for the most part, I would say most of the stories out there, we, we, we listen to it, we watch it, and we go, oh, that was a great story. That was very touching. But perhaps we just kind of stay the same after. But you know, the, the gospel story, I think, is not like any other story. It's something that we're supposed to find our lives in and locate our lives in. And so, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, I was thinking about who are the people who are most impacted by a story. And I thought, it's probably going to be actors. Actors. Why? You know, if you think about an actor, their job is, uh, you know, they, they need to know the story so well that they can portray the character and tell the story properly. But also, in their job and playing a character, they have to make sure that they are in the story, that they locate themselves within the story, that they connect themselves to the story. And so I think as actors do that, there perhaps is a sense where they themselves are changed a little bit by the story that they're trying to tell and portray because they themselves find themselves in the story. I kind of think that's how we're supposed to receive the grace of God. That is not just some inspirational story and it's like, oh, that is so nice to hear that Jesus died and my sins are now forgiven. But I think we're supposed to see it from a grand narrative of this, that God, he created the world, we fell in our sin, and he reached out to us to redeem us by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us upon a cross. And that story is not disconnected from us, but that is a story that we ought to be intimately tied to, that our stories are in his story. And if it's a story that captivates us so much, then I think there is a sense that we would want to do anything to be par- a part of it. You know, uh, I've heard some interviews with actors and sometimes they get a screenplay uh, and they, they love the story so much that they really want to be a part of that story. So they'll say this, you know, even though I'm a seasoned actor, I am willing to audition for this movie or for this play. Even though I'm usually a headliner and I'm a superstar, I'll be willing to play a supporting role just because I love this story. There's a sense where you want to be involved. And I think that's what it means to receive the grace of God in the right way and not to receive it in vain. You know, to receive the grace of God in vain, I imagine it's a little bit like this. You know, you, you take this amazing screenplay that you read and, uh, you know, instead of being a part of this, this story, this play, you kind of say to yourself, well, let me play uh, a role in this 30-second local car dealership advertisement commercial, right? Nothing against those things, of course. But compared to... Uh, playing a role in Spotlight, 
playing a role in Birdman, playing a role in The Usual Suspects. Do you really want to be in that car commercial? I just Googled, by the way, past the Oscar winners for best screenplay. Now, what, what is going on in God's story that is so compelling and something that we should be compelled to be a part of? And I think you, you see a little bit starting at verse 2 where uh, Paul, he quotes Isaiah 49, which is uh, what we read in our call to worship. And Paul says this, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God's story is a story of redemption, right? All good stories, I think, that resonate in our hearts, not just Christian hearts, but just people's hearts, I think are always connected to a great the, the themes of God. So redemption being an example. There was a problem in this story, just like all stories, good stories have a problem, and the problem was our sin. And the solution to that is God reaches out to save us through his death upon a cross. He sent Jesus to die, and it really is one of the great dramas uh, in the world. It is the drama in the world because it is God's drama. And, and once that is something that, again, captivates our hearts at Today is a day of salvation. Now is a time of redemption. God has come and he has reached out to me. It compels us. And uh, I think the right way to receive that is say, I want to be a part of his story. You see, because if we are living in the greatest story of love and redemption in the gospel story, I think it also means this, that we, we become part of a wider community. We become a part of a community that seeks to tell the story. And uh, another way you could call it is it's a church, right? Church is a community. And it, if we're part of a church, it also means that we are part of uh, a gospel ministry because we all have a role in telling the story. And starting in verse 3, Paul, uh, what he's doing is he's defending his ministry. And as he does, I think he gives this really wonderful description of what it's like to do gospel ministry. And what I appreciate about what he says here is he doesn't overly romanticize it and say, being part of gospel ministry is like this amazing, amazing thing and everything works well and goes right all the time. He doesn't say that. But at the th- on the other hand, he doesn't give an overly gloomy picture and he doesn't say, uh, well, it's terrible and it's drudgery and uh, I hate it. He kind of paints this uh, paradox of, a, of the tension of being in gospel ministry. Let me, let me start reading from verse 8. Just listen to uh, the, the paradox or the antitheses that he paints here. He says this, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. You see, there is a reality of what his life is like on earth with what you see with your eyes but he also acknowledges there is another spiritual reality that actually undergirds all of these other things so that he may in fact look poor he may in fact look like he is dying he may in fact look like he's being punished he may in fact look like he's an imposter but guess what in christ none of these things are true you know for those of you who've been involved i think in serving uh, in the church perhaps you've experienced this as well you know, on the one hand, ministry is difficult and costly. Uh, sometimes you don't get uh, the credit. Sometimes you get a lot of complaints, whatever it may be. But you see, on the other hand, there is a spiritual reality where to be part of what God is doing and to experience the blessings that come with 
all spiritual blessings that come from the heavenly places, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, there is something amazing about being part of what God is doing in the world. I think that tension is always going to exist when it comes to serving. Now, look, we want to be a church that builds bridges, hopefully, right? That's what we've been preaching. That's what we've been saying. But that is not going to be easy work because, what, bridges get stepped on all the time, right? Now, I think as soon as I say that, uh, I, I can hear, I can just hear somebody, you know, with a voice of dissent saying this, are you saying a Christian means that we should be stepped on all the time? And uh, of course, no, that's, that's not what we're saying. That's not what I'm saying. You know, I think especially if uh, you're somebody who's part of the minority group, um, maybe you're, uh, you know, maybe you're a woman, maybe you're a Asian minority, African American minority, uh, maybe you've kind of grown up being stepped on and uh, maybe you've approached it a little bit passively, and now you kind of say, that's, that's not right, and uh, it's not right to be passive, but we need to be active and not allow people to step on us. Uh, that's not what I'm saying here when I'm saying that bridges should be stepped on. Of course, we need to fight for justice and things like that. But, you know, most of the time when people step on us and uh, we, we kind of lose out and we get passed over, uh, it's so that other people get the credit and other people get the glory, Right? And then that's not a reason to be stepped on. But you know, what if we were stepped on and uh, it's not other people that get the glory, but it's Jesus Christ who gets the glory? Then I think that's a worthy reason to be stepped on. Again, not in a passive way, let things go away, but in a way that says, if I have to pay the cost, if I have to pay the price so that somebody would be connected to the beauty of Jesus Christ and recognize what he has done and see what he has done, then I'll do it. Then I'll do it. And I think essentially you see that in many, in the lives of many missionaries. And, you know, when Nick comes next week, you'll see that in his life as well. You know, I remember he told, uh, I, I hope he doesn't say this next week because then it's going to be a repeat and I'm going to steal his thunder. But, you know, he would tell his story about, you know, he's a Japanese missionary and he's in China. And, of course, you know, Japanese and Chinese history is not great. So Chinese people uh, really hate Japanese people. And, uh, when he would, he would tell a story about, um, you know, he would meet somebody and there would be so much anger for what uh, Japan, Japan did as a country. And he would just take it. He would say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what uh, my, my uh, country did uh, to people here. And, uh, you know, in, in a really strange way, uh, I think it opened up people to see, once again, how beautiful the gospel is. That's not an easy thing to do. I mean, especially because he wasn't there personally, right? <laughs> Representing the sins of, of his country or of his past. But, you know, he kind of got stepped on. And the reason he, he allowed himself to do it was because he wanted people to see the glory of Christ. Now, finally, uh, I want to get to this last point, but this leads to some of the most personal words, I think, in all of Paul's writings, and we find this in verses 11, 12, and 13. And you can tell he's getting pretty personal here because uh, he's not speaking generally, but he's actually addressing the Corinthians. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. And verse 13 says this, in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. You see, by saying that he has opened his heart to them, he's basically saying he is ready to receive them, these Corinthians. 
even though they have insulted him, even though they have stripped him of his honor, even though they've caused him a lot of grief and a lot of headache, he's saying, my heart is open to you. Why? What makes his heart open to them? Uh, You know, I think the answer is in the text. Like in verse 12, he says this, you are restricted by your own affections. That's why your heart is closed to me. You are restricted by your own desires, your own affections. You know, in our culture, the heart is something that feels, but in the Bible, the heart is something that desires. You know why a heart becomes closed? You know why many of our hearts may be closed? It's because of our affections, because of the desires of our hearts. You know, ask yourself, why do we choose to ignore or reject certain people that we find to be a little bit annoying to us? They get in the way of our desire to uh, have this easy, peaceful, comfortable life. Why do we choose to uh, receive and welcome people that are most similar to us or share common interests with us or people that we quote-unquote click with? Because we desire comfort. We want easy relationships. Why do we uh, choose to network with certain people and not with others? Because maybe certain people can help us advance our careers. You see, whether our hearts are open or closed, I think is going to be directly tied to the desires of our hearts and what we want. And if we allow our hearts' affection to control us, then guess what? Our hearts will be restricted and will never be open the way that it ought to be open. You know, how do we open our hearts? Well, let's think about it from Paul's perspective. Uh, you know, I mentioned his biography a couple of weeks ago. Paul's the epitome of somebody who had a closed heart to Christian believers. He was somebody who, as a Pharisee, he would persecute other Christians. He approved of their imprisonment and of their execution. And then he became a believer of Jesus Christ in a very miraculous way. His heart was opened when his eyes were opened to the fact that Christ was risen and that God had opened his heart to Paul. You know, there's places where Paul says he is the chief of sinners. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I really think he meant it because of his past, because of what he did to God's people. He says, I'm the chief of sinners, the first of sinners. And coming from that perspective, he experienced what it was like for God to accept him, for God to open his own heart to him, to, for God to reconcile himself with him in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And when you experience that, how do you not open yourself up to other people, right? That is the only logical thing to do. You know, he, uh, I think he recognized that there was this huge gulf, this huge distance between him and God, kind of like the ocean. And yet Christ bridged that distance. And you know what the distance is like between him and the Corinthians? It's like the Hudson River, right? There's a distance, but compared to the distance as a bridge in Christ, it is nothing. I think that's where we have to be, and I think that's where we need to draw our impetus for opening our own hearts. You know, some of what, let me just ask you directly. You don't have to answer, right? This is kind of rhetorical. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here in this church? Why are you here in New York? Perhaps the answer is, well, you know, I like the people that are here. It's not a bad answer, but that's not why you should be here. 
You might say, well, I'm in New York because I had a career opportunity. That's not a bad answer. That's not why you should be here. You know, because if that's your ultimate answer, it's going to be so easy to keep your heart closed, right? Because as long as people, uh, you see people in a way that, oh, I like them, oh, they help me, they're nice to me, I, get, I can get something from them, I get community from them, as long as you see, you see it in that way, I think there's going to be a part of us where our hearts are always going to be going to be closed to other people. And then we won't be bridge builders. You know where it has to come from? You, if you're a believer, right? If you're not a believer, then different story. But if you're a believer and you've received the gospel, I think you should say, you know what? I'm here not because I like the people, although hopefully you do. I'm here because God has opened his heart to me. And I want to open my heart to others. That's why you should be here. You know, Philippians 2. You know, the word translated as vain is interesting. Uh, it can also be translated as empty. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 2 when he talks about how Jesus emptied himself through his incarnation. You know what a tragedy would be if we receive what Christ poured out in becoming empty and filling us up and not doing anything with it. That's receiving it in vain. It's, uh, it's kind of like filling up a rocket with fuel and never launching it into space. You know how much fuel a rocket uses? 4.4 million pounds of fuel. That would be a tragic waste. Jesus, he emptied himself and he filled us up he filled us up. We have hope. We have joy. We have peace. We know what love is. We know what mercy is and forgiveness. We know what grace is. We know what reconciliation is because God gave it to us in Christ. We know what it is that God opened his heart up to us. We're filled. If you are a believer and you receive the grace of God, you are filled. Here's a question, though. Have you received it in vain? Is it something that you've received empty? And are you going on living a story that is less glorious? Are you trying to be in that 30-second car dealership commercial? Or do you want to be in God's story of redemption? That's his will for all people. As soon as we come out, you see people on the street, that's his will for them. When you go to work and you see your coworkers, that's his will for them. When you see family, when you see friends, that is his will for them. And guess what? Church, we're called to build bridges, which means we're called to be part of that story and we're called to show people the beauty and the glory of Christ and his victory. Let's pray together.